0: Drinking green chartreuse in a brandy pipe, watching SBS and screaming at the television.
1: <laughs> what a
2: hero! <laughs> <laughs> it's a strong introduction. <laughs> really that's uh, how I became a bartender.
0: Welcome to our second season of Spirits of Discussions. I'm Lachlan Watt, and I have over ten years' experience in both the spirits and bar industries while also having an insatiable thirst for understanding the booze that we drink. Through this series, we will dive deeper into the topics that we have grazed in Season 1 and dive into some other historical tidbits that have guided our drinking habits. Join me through our second season, and well, let's get started. Hello everyone, and welcome back to Spirited Discussions. And I am joined today by Hugh Leach and Nick Tessa. Good friends of mine who are here to join me to talk about liqueurs and Amari today, which I'm really excited about. Welcome. Thank you for joining me. Actually, this is really exciting to be in the same room for the first time in a long time, actually. Um, Thanks,
2: much. No, absolute pleasure. Yeah.
0: Uh, before we dive into this awesome category, and I can see we've got, what, six bottles in front of us um, to enjoy, but... Do you mind just sharing with us your time in the industry, a little bit of your personal histories?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, Hugh and I actually both met working at Jim Palace about 11 years ago. Um, I That was my first job in Melbourne. I'd moved down from Brisbane. I yeah. uh, was there for a few years and then moved to Restaurant Lumay when they first opened mm-hmm. uh, before going to work in a, a little wine bar called Bar Liberty for six and a half years. Yeah. Uh, which was a great time, nice and casual. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, we've, we've since started a uh, liqueur company together with yeah, uh, yep. two other friends who we met through the Gin Palace connections um, called Marionette Liqueurs mm-hmm. um, and since my liberty I'm also the creative director of drinks at uh, Four Pillars now.
0: Right. We've uh, previously done an episode on gin and we spoke quite heavily about Four Pillars. So
2: they've uh, been quite the juggernaut in Australian gin.
0: Yeah, absolutely dominated as well. So yourself,
1: Hugh? Yeah, well, as Nick said, I uh, first moved to Melbourne to study and I got a job at Gin Palace. Uh, before that, I used to work in coffee, so it was actually my first ever bar gig. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, I worked at the Bitter's Lab for a while, um, so I did a lot of reading on Amaro and Bitter's there. Um, and then I was at Melbourne Gin Company, yeah. so we've both done our gin uh, trade. I was there for five years, Yeah. and now I work full-time for Marionette as, uh, I guess, the head distiller or production manager. Fantastic, yeah, and fun. for those who don't know, Marionette is probably one of the only
0: large-scale liqueur companies in Australia, right?
2: The only the only one of uh, that does our style. There's yeah. other styles. There's lots of cello producers, lots of um, I guess single variety liqueur producers. Yeah, uh, or people who do liqueurs as a, a side piece to other larger distillation businesses. But we focus solely on working with. Uh, produce in Australia to make classically styled cocktail liqueurs.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, and, and that is the main focus, right? It's not just a side project. It is the, no, which the, is what I was. The early project. Yeah. The only yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. And so. it's, there's only, the only one I can think of outside of Marionette is tambourine,
1: I think. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, they don't, uh, I guess they go a bit further afield in terms of the styles of liqueur that they make. Yeah, it's not uh, classic cocktail style <laughs> liqueurs, right? I mean, you know, I mean, my first introduction was that, to them was, I think, a lily gin. And, uh, mm-hmm. and they make a eucalyptus liqueur and a macadamia liqueur. And they make, I think, 300 different liqueurs. Yeah. And um, it's just crazy. And I guess you've also got uh, you know Mr. Black, which yeah. is a liqueur-focused brand, but they really only do the, 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 one, the yeah. one product or the one variation of the yeah, product. Yeah,
0: there's not multiple. Yeah. Uh, I guess so that's Styles, a, a yeah. little bit different
1: too. Yeah,
2: um, we obviously. we kind of see ourselves more as a, a classical uh, French or Dutch liqueur house.
0: Yeah, which is something that the Australian market needs anyway. So um,
2: we think so. Yeah,
0: I mean, you get to corner the market now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we're, we're five five years in and still don't really have um, much competition. Yeah. Much competition in that area.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess before we dive into the sixty second history, let's taste something. Um, what should we, what should we start on?
2: I I think we should start on, um, maple liqueur. Yeah, let's do it. Breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Who brought the pancakes? pancakes. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) We start this episode like we do every, but we have a 60 second history. This one is going to be a bit funny because either we spend 10 seconds or years. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, let's start off with a cheers. Okay. So this is solitage? Is that how you pronounce it? Sortilege. Sortilege. Canadian whiskey and maple syrup liqueur. I mean, that's pretty delicious for for breakfast liqueur. Yeah, it is, (laughs) isn't it?
1: That's delicious.
2: It makes
0: a bang and rusty nail.
2: Mm. I feel like it needs to be in a cake. Mm. Mm. Great idea. Yeah, Yeah.
0: tiramisu with that.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or just dousing a beaver tail.
1: Yeah, yeah. You might have to time on this one like my phone's still waking up. I can count. <laughs> <laughs> I can count. <laughs> Let's see what you've got. Uh, all right, are we ready? Three, two, one, go for it.
0: Well, as I mentioned before, this is a brief history because it can get quite murky when you're talking about liqueurs. But I guess liqueurs and Amari share a similar history as they stem from the same concept of preserving fruit or herbs as medicine traditionally And then um, later down the track, we start to see some uh, basically fixing rough and raw spirit with fruits and sweeteners and herbs to try and make things drinkable. Um, Waste spirit, as you mentioned before, Nick. Um, And then we've also got cream liqueurs and basically that's the end of it. It's spread out around the world as a preservation and medicinal technique.
1: So far ahead of time. So, so brief. 41 seconds. Yeah.
0: It's that's Unless we go deeply into the fact that you've got regional variants of Amari and liqueurs from anywhere.
2: I guess, uh, I guess the, the big definition of uh, liqueur is the alcohol and sugar. Yeah. Fact,
0: it's just, that's what it is. It's a, it's a sweet alcohol. Um, and the same with Amari, right? It's, it's sweetened, but it doesn't taste the way it does because of the bittering agents, you know? from uh, Wormwood to, I guess, uh, Angelica and Gentian and all of those. So, But anyway, let's dive in. So, first question, what was your first experience with liqueurs and Amari? Who wants to take this one first? I've got one. Yeah, yeah?
2: Mine was definitely raiding the parents' cupboard and drinking Malibu. Yes.
1: I think (laughs) mine was the same except Bailey's. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: This is... Feels naughty, but it's also sweet. I can drink this. Yeah, it's yeah. It's great. <laughs> and the bottle's clouded, so no one knows what's no, no going what on. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> that's
0: the thing, right? Um, there's also a lot of liqueurs that people don't realize are liqueurs, like things like Southern Comfort, you know? Oh, But, yeah, there are so many out there that just were in our parents' cupboards that we could just knit quite easily yeah. and successfully.
2: There was also – I have this distinct memory of um, my dad coming home from a conference and he got given these little, like, house-shaped porcelain uh, – decanters from somewhere in Europe that had a cherry brandy liqueur of some sorts in there. And it tasted more like cough medicine than anything else, but they were the most beautiful taste medicine. There's also, you know, like the cherry liqueur chocolates and stuff like that. Yeah, You know, my mother used to have those all the time. Surely every Australian's first uh, encounter with liqueur is a cherry ripe where you've got essentially – same, same, uh, yeah. you know. Uh, a, boo- a boozy chocolate bar with sugar. Yeah. Um, yeah, that
1: I was think urban, my- the urban legend that if you ate a cherry wrap, you'd blow over on a eh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, I, I think my first experience with, with liqueurs, which was at an age I'm not going to disclose, um, but it was absolutely my father drinking green chartreuse through, you know, those brandy pipes? Wow. He was just sitting on the couch and like, 2am and I'd just woken up and I went to see him and he was just drinking green chartreuse and a brandy pipe, watching SBS and screaming at the television.
2: <laughs> what a hero. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's a strong introduction.
0: <laughs>
2: really That's so. how I became a bartender. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's why I like 55% liqueur now. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I actually
0: wanted to ask this because this is, um, I guess, the, the forum for it. What led you guys to start Marionette? So it was you, you guys and Sean, right? And
2: Lauren. And Lauren, yeah. Um, so we've been working with the rise of Australian spirits for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess at Gin Palace we saw this, essentially the start of Australian gin. Yeah, um, yeah. There, were, there were a few producers but then uh, during our time we saw the, the number jump from about five to 50 yeah. and, and now it's like hundreds. It is. It. I think there's um, like 400 brands of Australian gin on the market at the moment. Absolutely insane. Yeah. So we, we really saw that rise. We also um, were friends with a lot of these people. So mm-hmm. we, we'd been working side by side with these people for a long time. Sean had started Made and I, uh, which is a booth company. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Lauren did the design. Hugh and I did labor. Um, and <laughs> essentially by by working with that, we would kind of felt like we, we wanted to have, be part of the industry as well. Um, yeah. The cures was something that wasn't being done. It was a... Uh, um, Kind of a gap in the market a lot of people were producing gin as a, a way to get cash flow to make other spirits mm-hmm. um and with a bit of a, a history in produce and my family's from a farm and the connection to australian agriculture we really wanted to showcase what we have in australia which is a, an abundance of fruit that can be grown uh from tropical regions down to arid regions mm-hmm. so we can grow just about anything and we do it really well and it's underutilized so why aren't we making these things?
0: And I mean, like, like we mentioned before, there there wasn't a proper liqueur company, I guess, on the scale that Marionette has kind of been able to corner of these cocktail liqueurs. Otherwise, we were using, you know, like you said, the French houses. You know, yeah.
2: And I guess there was a, a little bit of a a point of tasting some of these liqueurs that had been shipped from the other side of the world and seeing them in an often oxidized state because they'd mm-hmm. been processed two and a bit years ago. So we could get something to people that we'd made with the produce that had come from trees in within a, a six month yeah. period. Yeah. 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 Um, I guess
0: that's, that's something that's really, really interesting. And a lot of people would only know liqueurs from cocktails, right? No one really sits around and drinks curacao on its own. I mean, no, they should, but yeah, they it don't. Does a, there's a few Contra on the rocks drinkers out
2: there. Yeah. 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 My, my <laughs> grandma does now. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's there are all these liqueurs out there that are primarily just used for cocktails, right? That's the access point. Um what do you see a lot of at-home drinkers for your your products or is it mostly bartenders that use it?
2: We we are primarily uh, on-premise brands. We we yeah. that's our connection that's that's who we understand, that's the market that we have.
1: Mhm. Um, we definitely saw, obviously, during lockdowns and that kind of thing, a lot of people were making cocktails at home, and that was definitely a bit of a bump. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's probably more the um the real cocktail fans um that are very interested in using you know really good ingredients and those kind of smaller brands. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely primarily uh a uh, uh, bars and and restaurants. Yeah, yeah.
2: We definitely see a shift though. There's the um a massive leap in terms of the the education of the the home consumer. And I think that uh, two of the big ones that are doing this in Australia are Kara and Steve, the bartender. They seem to connect yeah, yeah. very well to the at-home drinker. And that leads those people to be more curious and see- seek out ingredients to make those cocktails at home. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, I noticed that as well, you know, well, in the, the post-COVID landscape, I, I saw a lot of uh, trend back to people wanting to drink cocktails in bars. Hmm. Um, you know, they can get... Any kind of spirit, anytime they want for for home, but you know they can't make cocktails like you know bath can. So yeah. there was a little bit of a, sh- a swing back the other way, but definitely during COVID, a lot of people got more educated on the booze that they wanted to
1: drink. So and I think there was also a big push towards more, um, I guess, a greater interest in Australian uh everything yeah. so you know local a lot of produce. a lot of people were familiar with australian gin but again you know, and australian whiskey but they were looking at australian rum australian mm-hmm. liqueurs kind of everything that you can get um to try and support uh, Absolutely. local producers
0: support local producers and also not have to pay the exorbitant shipping rates you
2: know yeah. <laughs> um, uh, um to get my maple syrup liqueur yeah yeah to get this <laughs> canadian maple syrup liqueur um
0: uh, well, I guess let's break down different styles because we mentioned a few already um, and I think it'll be great to have you guys, especially on this first one, which I've written down fruit liqueurs mm. and you guys do quite a few of these. So yeah. you want to start breaking down some fruit liqueurs for I us? I think,
1: I mean, that's definitely the most expansive category. Yeah, um, and the way I would talk about it is that most of these are essentially maceration. Mm-hmm. So it's mostly, uh, obviously there's, a lot of different ways you can macerate, but basically it's maceration of fruit in alcohol mm-hmm. and then primarily they normally add sugar and water back to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, And that can, you know, pretty much cover everything from limoncello, lemon skins to, you know, cassis, muir. Most of the, I guess, classic kind of French or um, Dutch uh, producers will make these kind of liqueurs. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, you know, the big, the big ones I would say would probably be uh, things like cassis, Um, which has a lot of regulation around it. You even have DOCs for cassis from Mm -hmm. um, various parts of France. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But it really covers uh, kind of such a broad spectrum. And it's also a very, um, I guess, historically quite uh, easy way to make um, those kind of products. You don't have to have a steel. You can just get spirit, especially if you're, say, a, a winery or something and you maybe have um, some access to spirit because you're making fortified wine, yeah, yeah. you can just macerate those black currants that are growing in your area or those apricots that are growing in your area um, in the spirit and then kind of sweeten it up and go from there.
0: Well, I mean, this, so uh, uh, we touched on it in the very, very brief history, which is this was a preservation technique originally. It was just, a, you know, you had some excess fruit, don't want to waste it, put it in some spirit. That's how we started off with liqueurs, right? Um, and I'm glad you mentioned black currants because, yeah. uh, you know, not a lot of people would know what cassis is. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. 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 And yeah. I think that's also, it's one of those things where, you know, black currants by themselves are incredibly tart. So mm-hmm. it's not something that you necessarily want to eat as a fresh, uh, thing. Um, so often it is preserved in a jam or a liqueur or something like that, um, to make it kind of sugar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in some way, either jam or, you know, yeah, and often to either, you, you know, it helps you use up, um, potential, um, potentially alcohol that doesn't taste that great either. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you can cover it in fruit flavor and sugar and, uh, you and can this have a really good the, time.
0: This is where the cook- the cocktail started. This is where, yeah. you know, liqueur started making bad alcohol. ba. Bad alcohol tastes great. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, so it's a very, very large category of fruit liqueurs. Yeah, yeah.
0: So we mentioned Cassis, Muir, Lemoncello, uh, Apricot Brandy,
1: yeah. Peach, um, Elderflower. Uh, there's, you know, the, the list goes on and on. Yeah, uh, we could easily. For- Nick, do you want to chip in on I mean,
2: I guess I, I'd i say that the fruit liqueur then kind of goes down into like the gray area of. Mint and chocolate, which is halfway in between the next category. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, add flowers, yeah. So elderflower, yeah. Yeah, yeah, violets, uh, and the same similar maceration technique. Yeah, yeah.
0: creme de menthe, uh, you know, creme de v- uh, violet, you know, all that kind of stuff is yeah. adjacent. Yeah, but ha- yeah, like, ha- halfway towards the next. Yeah, halfway towards the next, which is cream liqueurs. No. <laughs> 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 sure. Well, it's definitely on
2: my list. Yeah, I can't read the run sheet. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, what, what were you going to say? It's halfway towards the herbal liqueur. Herbal, yeah. yeah. So it's it's that that grey area of, well, it's not a fruit liqueur, but it's made in the same way and it's utilized in the same way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's not a herbal liqueur because it doesn't have the same um, uh, complexity.
0: Yeah. And there's um, part of that herbal liqueur thing is things like chartreuse, which we mentioned before, uh, those monastic kind of herbal liqueurs. Yeah, um,
2: Dom, Dom benedicts he being yeah. one of the the more famous ones yeah, yeah. Uh, and a, a great example of. Yeah, um, and then those have kind of fed into uh, so many of the, the classic cocktail recipes that we know, know today.
0: Yeah, like the Bobby Burns is an example of that, and um, that's the only one I can really think of being uh, primarily a whiskey bartender. But um, a last word. Yeah, last word. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, now
2: let's go into cream liqueurs, uh, <laughs> a category that has been dominated by one single beverage for most of its existence. Yeah, Bailey's. I think
1: it also only started in maybe the sixties or the seventies.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's there's records of cream liqueurs exi- existing, but then the um, the use of Irish spirit to make Bailey's by Diageo was what blew it up, yeah. and then it's become. Something that's done around the world. There's a, a lot of whiskey distilleries that who make a cream liqueur. Mm-hmm. Um, quite a lot of
1: wine-based cream liqueurs too. Yeah, there are. Yeah.
0: Um, which but is they're, disturbing. They're always just uh, well. You mentioned one that was tequila-based before. Yes. Yeah. You got what rum I, what shatter as well.
1: Is
2: acid. I really like acid and cream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Um,
0: but yeah, there, there are quite a few around. One of my personal favourites is again a local one, which is Hellier's Road Cream Liqueur. But it it's basically dairy. just sugar and tasmanian dairy
1: but you know well they were dairy farmers originally
0: yeah they were
2: um i I think it's a fantastic example of a category i still don't actually know how to use them properly no Um, and i don't understand uh how they can be stable for so long
1: yeah yeah i think that's definitely the most interesting part for me as a production person the uh the way that you stabilize that emulsion and keep it there is yeah Interesting. I find, I find it. I find it really interesting.
0: Yeah. I don't think it's any knowledge that I really need to divulge. Or also, I don't understand how it
1: works, but yeah. it's incredible. It's it's it, super I, interesting. I think it's
2: the second most fascinating, yeah. and the most fascinating is advocat. Oh uh, well, I was gonna. <laughs> I was just about to mention this. <laughs> and how can, how can hey, eggs sit on an Australian pub back bar for forty five years and still be there? Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> and not, and not give comparable. anyone in <laughs> <laughs> Although they can't be poured out of the bottle. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's just.
1: You know, I had some really amazing German egg liqueurs too. Yeah, uh, And they're, you know, in the, almost like the, the ceramic Geneva bottles too. Yeah. It's, like <laughs> a, it's a whole thing over there. So
2: yeah. I guess to make those at home understand what it yeah. is, it is a, uh, essentially a custard based liqueur. It's, a, it is, uh, yeah. it's yeah. eggs. We actually, actually, actually made one parents view has made
1: one actually. I okay. think yeah, I think they made a, a brandy custard liqueur. Well, cuz that's what it is. It's yeah. it's
0: usually brandy, the the less than savory brandy and eggs, right? We and used to custard. make one at
2: Jim palace uh throwing back to the Yunaver days um, with a a filias base a splash of uh, American whiskey some vanilla. Yeah and, yeah, and eggs. And it was amazing. But you're essentially having a spoonful as a shot. Um
1: mm-hmm. Really drawing the line between a liquid and a solid. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so I didn't did nail the recipe. But Sean, our business partner, always wanted to make a emu egg and North Queensland vanilla avocado as a piece. I th- uh, I think you should. But <laughs> <For> stabilizing it. <laughs> yeah. um, and we haven't done it yet.
0: Yeah. I, um, I'd i be excited to... I was actually going to ask you today, when are you going to make an avocado. <laughs> Well, there's been discussions.
2: The recipe has been trials.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to, I guess, alongside what we've just tasted here, honey-based liqueurs, because I've got a mm. massive category coming up next, mm-hmm. or two, actually. But, yeah, honey-based liqueurs, we've got this maple syrup-based liqueur. Yeah. Explain.
2: I mean, honey-based liqueurs that we know of in modern context are, I guess mostly around whiskey, mm-hmm. um, but then we've also seen honey liqueurs that are come from the, the herbal side of things and now we're seeing modern spiced honey liqueurs, mead-based or other, yeah, yeah. Um, having a bit of a resurgence, uh, both US, um, across Europe, and uh, there's a couple in Australia, which is, is amazing to see. Well, we have a lot of great honey. And I've I've seen a lot of
0: Australian-based honey liqueurs, especially coming from whiskey distilleries, where instead of making gin, they're punching out this you know whiskey-based liqueur, but using the local honey, whether it be
2: you know red gum or iron bark or whatever it might be, to create those. It's, a, it's such an interesting piece in terms of what's around that distillery and how do you, how do you make a mm-hmm. uh, a naturally sweetened um, yeah. product. And yeah, like you said, naturally sweetened. You know? makes a lot more sense for sugar cane to be with rub than it does mm-hmm. for uh, a whiskey producer. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, and this is a great example of that. This being a Canadian product, they're using obviously local maple syrup. Yeah. That's their local native sweetener, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, this next category is enormous and will lead into the the next enormous one, um, citrus, well, orange-based liqueurs.
2: Yeah, we wanted to keep that as a separate category to fruit liqueurs because of the production mission. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll let Hugh talk about that one.
1: Yeah, so I I guess stylistically there's kind of two main camps of orange liqueurs. There's ones that call themselves Curacao and ones that call themselves Triple Sec. The main difference between, uh, I guess, orange liqueurs and uh, fruit liqueurs is that often they'll use distillation Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to the fruit liqueurs, which will primarily just be maceration. Um, So I think that's that's a really key difference in how they're produced. In terms of category definition, it's really hard to work out what is a Curacao and what is a triple sec. There's no rules about it. Uh, there's no EU legislation or anything like that, which is quite surprising because there's quite a lot of EU legislation on other liqueurs. On just a lot of things in Yeah, general. exactly. Yeah, they love a they love a DSA. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, as far as I can tell, the main difference seems to be that triple secs are generally clear and I guess maybe a slightly lighter style. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then your curious are generally colored Um Well, you've obviously got blue curacao, but generally speaking, (laughs) an older style curacao will mean it might contain some brandy or it's got a macerated orange peel element as well. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why what we make is a, is an orange curacao because we use a bit of brandy in there. Uh, we do do a bit of maceration, but then we also use distillation, um, as well. So it provides a quite a different style. And then often they're also a little bit higher in alcohol than other liqueurs. So kind of 30 to 40%, whereas most fruit liqueurs you'd be sitting at kind of 20 to to 25. Yeah. Um, so quite quite different, and in the way that they're used, it, it's quite different too. And yeah. I guess Nick can probably speak to that a bit better.
2: I mean, the orange curacao triple sec has become part of the modern sour. It's, it is, yeah. It's in all of the classic cocktails, from the margarita to the white lady.
0: Yeah, yeah. And who doesn't love a margarita, right? Yeah,
2: it, it's the uh, feel good hit of the summer. It is, or, yeah. Th- both summers, definitely, well,
1: definitely one of the most versatile liqueurs you could have uh, in your. In your booze cabinet. Absolutely. It can be utilized
0: for absolutely anything. And you brought two different Kurosaw's here. Now, Kurosaw is also the name of a species of orange, right?
1: Uh, Well, it's actually the name of an island. Um, So, the island of Curacao, uh, they planted oranges there and the oranges turned bitter because of the soil. Mm. And so, the original history behind that was that the uh, Dutch had control or colonized it at that stage and brought the oranges there. And then uh, they put oranges or orange peel in brandy barrels that they were shipping back to Holland. And that's kind of how they essentially accidentally created an orange liqueur, um, but they decided that they would do that because the oranges were inedible. Mm. Um, so a, a lot of the time it has used to kind of a bitter orange. Um, so we use a Seville orange in well, all of our curacao that we make yeah. um, can't really talk to the history of blue curacao. I think that was just a fun, uh, fun invention that someone In the had. 80s, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, or every other flavor of curacao. I've definitely had people ask me if the if the different colors are different flavors, and it turns out they're all, I mean, all the same flavor. A blue mai tai, you yeah, go wrong oh, exactly. <laughs> Culture cool Survivor number blue. Who doesn't want one?
0: Yeah, it's um, famous for a reason.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or- so. So, traditionally, you'd have some kind of uh, a bitter orange, mostly because you get, I guess, a different style of kind of flavor and oils from those, um, and also because they can't be really used for anything else. Mm. Um, So, you see that in uh, probably the next category we'll talk about as well. Oh, yeah. Well,
2: just go back to blue. Uh,
1: Bit of quick research. (laughs) Here we go.
2: (laughs) I actually did a uh, a blue drink training for... Japanese I mean, Tiki easy. Bar in Sydney. Yeah, and yeah. It's probably the most fun training I've ever done. Uh, sounds like it would uh, be. And blue drinks were actually a Victorian era thing uh, from the 19- 1850s uh, and it was really? originally created out of coal tar and anything coloured was considered fancy. So they made, made things So blue. people
1: were literally drinking coal tar. Yes. Yeah, terrifying.
2: And that's how blue curacao came <laughs> to uh, And then it was the 19- in the 19th century that Dutch liqueurs came out with uh, generic flavours and colours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. But yeah, Victorian England. All right.
0: Amazing. Well... You learn something new every damn day.
1: It maybe we should, the, maybe maybe we should see baguette. if... Maybe, yeah, exactly. Maybe we should see if Bowles has like an original blue curacao from the 1850s. Yeah, coal tar. <laughs> <laughs> What's the dropout like on that? <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, let's
0: move on to the next category because this kind of leads us in with the, the orange base liqueurs. And let's mm-hmm. talk about Amari now. Uh, now, Amari is a style of alcohol that I personally love, as you both know. But um, per- yeah... Explain, what is, um, what is Amari? What is Amaro? I,
1: I would say it's a category that almost defies categorization. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's definitely one of those things where you know it when you taste it, but it's pretty hard to put your thumb on exactly what what it is. Yeah. Uh, probably the easiest definition would be that it's an Italian uh, or generally speaking Italian style of liqueurs that have uh, some kind of bittering uh, agent in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick, do you want to? A sweet and bitter digestive style liqueur? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean,
0: um, the word amaro is bitter. It means bitter in uh, in Italian. Yeah, um, and
1: historically, it's a very similar kind of story to the uh, herbal liqueurs like yeah. Chartreuse in France. Um, so they're you know medicinal originally, often made in local monasteries with yeah. the surrounding uh, herbs that are available. Um, and so you get quite, uh, I guess, regional differences with what they what they have available and what they can make.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of amaros out there that people just don't realise, like things like Aperol, right? Mm. We all love an Aperol spritz on the Sunday morning, but... <laughs>
1: <laughs> Going for brunch afterwards? Uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: we could have, should have, and I mean we can do Aperol spritzes dr- directly after this. <laughs>
2: yes, yeah, so, so then Aperol would fit into the uh, aperitivo, or the lighter style of mm-hmm. Um and then that would kind of span from Aperol's level of business to Campari's, Yeah, yeah. which is that... Fresher, more vibrant, more versatile yeah, yeah. style of bitter.
1: And, and I think one of the main categories you see in that is also that it's designed for uh, often kind of pre-dinner drinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that real aperitif kind of five seven o'clock, yeah. have one before dinner. And and I mean, a lot of people think
0: Campari to be incredibly bitter, but then you go into some of these other categories of Amaru, like um, the the your fernets and your. Um, uh, why am I blanking on it? I did write it down here, but I did write it down in my awful handwriting. Alpine. Yeah. <laughs> um, that really astringent and challenging style of Amaro. Um,
2: oh, there's fantastic diversity. I, oh. I think that the ones that everyone knows are the, the, the medium level bitterness. It's a category called Medium. Mm-hmm. Um, it has Montenegro. It has Nonino. And that's where most of the the... Amaros that we drink by themselves would sit and what most of the Amaros that we're familiar with would include. Um, speaking of, should we taste one? I've got these
0: two different ones here. One definitely sits in the aperitif style. Please. And citrus style. Um, now this is uh, one that I actually made for the bar because I love to just fuck around and find out. But this is Kinoto orange, rhubarb and strawberry. And it was designed to try and bridge the gap between Campari and Aperol.
1: When you say rhubarb, did you use rhubarb stalks or rhubarb root? Uh, storks. Yeah, because rhubarb root is also a common ingredient mm, in a yeah. lot of my eyes.
0: And then Chen, chen Angelica, a uh, bunch of other things. How, how
2: did you utilize that in a drink?
0: Um, I recently did just a golden hour with it, with bourbon and, um, this and some Lillet, which worked really well. Um, but I've done a spritz with it. I've done, there was a sour I did with it as well. There was, I think I've done six different drinks on the bar with this. It's it's really delicious. I think it'd be great in the highball.
1: Yeah. It's got really nice acid.
2: Yeah. Mm. Strawberry works really well to balance, balance the other botanicals. So this is quite different to a classic Chinotto or Kinotto, which would mm-hmm. uh, be done with roasted citrus, whereas this is a fresher style. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess utilising the fresh produce that you had available.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the the, the Kinotto season in Australia is two weeks long. And if you don't get in a month before they that they get, hits that season, you don't get any.
2: The, uh, This is a small farm in northeastern Victoria. Yeah, yeah. And they grow a, a wide variety of... Very interesting citrus. Obscure citrus, basically, yeah. Mostly used by producers in that area. It's uh, where most of the Victorian yuzu is coming from now. Yeah, um, it's,
0: what, it's, I think, the, the main yuzu farm in Australia.
2: Yeah. Why, why, why not? There's a, f- a fair bit in Goulburn, Blue Mountains, and mm-hmm. then northern New South Wales is producing as well. But it's kind of because of the, I think it takes about four years for a mm-hmm. yuzu to be planted in fruit. Yeah, but Everyone's come to fruit at about the same time. Yeah, so yeah. we've got... Uh, a lot more user than we had a few years ago.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's awesome. Yeah, it's an interesting citrus. So I just, just call it fancy mandarin, really. It's called it spade to spade. <laughs> 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 the
2: funny, funny thing with citrus is all citrus relate back to four original citrus in China. So there's yeah. not too much difference. It's all kind of a
1: hybrid of each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, or a hybrid of a hybrid yeah. of a hybrid.
2: It's
0: used as a hybrid anyway of yeah, yeah, two yeah. different hybrids. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Uh, It's pretty complicated. Yeah. Oh, well, anyway. So (laughs) this citrus is being utilised by an Amaro producer up in Beechworth, which is where I was trying to get my brain to go. Um, And (laughs) uh, that's how I first found out about the the farm. It's uh, amazing uh, to see such a wide range of Amaro's being produced in a small Australian country town.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and canelto oranges are used pretty universally in Italian Amaro as well. Um, because they are so so bitter, they're these tiny little, um, just slightly larger than a kumquat, but they just look like a fully grown orange, but just tiny. And With plenty of pith. Yeah, yeah, they are bitter.
1: Yeah, we we <laughs> use a uh, seville orange in our bitter for a similar kind of reason. Yeah. So it's very similar. It's just yeah, very aggressively bitter and sour. I'm not I'm not sure if you'll enjoy this, but um, my boss Julian.
0: Uh, when I got the shipment of five kilos of Kinoto oranges, cut one open and gave it to him, and the face he made was—it was just immediately tasted. it. Goes, oh, this is actually pretty, pretty sweet, pretty tasty. And then immediately after, goes, oh, I can still taste it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, pretty intense. Yeah,
0: it is. It takes about three, four hours to get rid of that that flavor out of your mouth of fresh Kinoto orange. Yeah. But anyway, so medium. You've mentioned. Um, Amaro
2: Montenegro and Nonino. And then we go to, I guess, um, the different regional areas of this. You've Mm -hmm. got um, a vast difference between Northern Italian Amaros and uh, Amaro from Sicily. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Lighter, fresher um, styles down south. uh, Darker, more root driven up north. Yeah. Uh, there's alpine amaros, which have the high menthol content, also uh, a lot more of the, the woody uh, root elements to
1: it. Quite yeah. a lot of juniper
2: often too. Yeah.
0: The the really dark juniper styles yeah. and just
1: what grows up that high. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and then, then there's different amaros that are um, based around the bittering ingredient. Yeah yeah. So one of my favorite producers is Nardini mm-hmm. and they produce different Amaro is based around the different bitter elements and the Rhubarbaro, which is a rhubarb root amaro, mm-hmm. is one of my favourite amaro's. Right, I need Just to have a look at this. Really uh, kind of tastes like um, uh, a classic roasted cola nut um, uh, sarsaparilla flavour. Yeah, it's, that um, sounds fantastic. Yeah, ab- absolutely beautiful. Uh-huh. And then from there you've got, you know, truffle amaro's and artichoke amaro's and... Uh, then onto the the very bit of Furnets. Mm-hmm. And yeah,
0: uh, so in the previous season, one of our secret questions was, do you actually like fernet, or do you just tell people that you do? <laughs> um, which I really enjoyed that question. I think it, dep- I think it depends on the fernet. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, people don't realize that a Fernet Brunca is just a re- uh, a singular product of a much larger category. You no, know, fernets yeah. are this really big, bold style of amaro, right?
2: Yeah, and I mean, there's also, uh, I guess, fernets from other countries that don't have nearly the same intensity um, yeah. because it's their regional makeup of botanicals. But it's just the style of the most, the most bitter style of amaro, uh, very root and bark driven. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, based on the botanicals from around the area.
1: I think often they're also higher alcohol. Yeah, Most are kind sit of sit up at around the 30 to 40. Yeah, exactly. And it, especially in Italian fernades, you often see things like saffron and aloe yeah, and yeah. Uh, I guess more of a kind of medicinal uh, style, I'd say almost in terms of flavor, like they're quite, yeah. um, quite medicinal, quite um, yeah, quite dark.
0: I also, I, I've seen a lot of, you know, uh, juniper styles, you know, where they are really big and bold and... and you know, adding extra
1: astringency to that yeah, herb- herbaceous yeah, nature. Yeah, very astringent, yeah, low yeah. sugar, higher alcohol. Yeah. So do you like them? I love them. Do you? Uh, it depends on the fernet. Eh? Yeah.
2: I, I do, but I also often don't like the texture. Yeah. I find right. them too residues. Yeah, right. It's uh, like kind of aggressively lingering. Yeah, that mouth
1: coating, you know. I think, I think my issue with some of them I've tried is that often they're aggressively dry. mm um, and so some of them I do like I have and I do really like them but some of them I have and I'm just like man this is yeah being someone who's much. worked in the whiskey industry for 10 years I can deal with aggressively dry <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I, think, I think working in liquor production has probably changed my palate the other yeah. <laughs> I just always have a little um,
2: cup of creme brulee in my pocket so it's <laughs> <laughs> well
0: actually I've got this Amaro here that a good friend of mine gave me which is a slow berry Amaro i thought you guys might enjoy uh from a californian distillery
1: yeah i'm really curious to try this yeah and i think that that definitely would come under like it's the same as slow gin that kind of uh use of fruit that isn't particularly delicious by itself but can be delicious if you use it well things. there's a
0: good reason why i wanted you guys to taste this apart from the fact that i'm very interested to hear your thoughts but so it just says here on the front label first of all it says batch number one so that says a lot um Grain neutral spirit with fruit, herbs, and spices. So this leads me into my um, question that I've got written here, which is how are these liqueurs and Amari made? Is there a generalized kind of uh, production method or are they catered to
2: uh, the product that you're trying to achieve? Or Well, my, most spirit-based Amari is not talking about wine. Um, uh, macerated in a neutral, neutral spirit, mm-hmm. and that can either be from Gray neutral or grape, mm-hmm. uh, grape often being a byproduct of the wine
1: industry. Yeah, so a mark. Uh, yeah. And a lot of them will be made by grape distilleries. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in those wine regions.
2: And essentially taking that high proof spirit, um, some macerate up at 96%, some reduce down to 50% to 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 soak the botanicals and using that alcohol as the solvent to pull all the flavors yeah. out. Um, that's done from anywhere between two and two weeks and
0: and is it the same for the way you yes. guys produce your liqueurs or do you change it for each liqueur you're making? Are you, are you using neutral grain or?
2: We, we use neutral grain. We hmm. also use uh, brandy elements for different products depending on mm-hmm. the the purpose of the product. Um, and for all products besides orange, there's a, um, well, even the orange has a small macera- maceration component, but the other products are maceration dominant, whereas the orange is distillation dominant.
0: Yeah, right. And... Uh as for your sugars and stuff, so are they making uh, flavored sugar syrups or just raw sugar? So in?
2: there's different different producers do different things. Some producers uh, soak certain ingredients just in sugar because there's different extractions mm-hmm. of different botanicals and flavors in different solutions. Yeah, yeah. So some producers have a sugar solution and a alcohol solution and blend them, um, which is what I do for that. It's a it's a great way of kind of making sure that every single component of a drink has flavor, and you bring bringing all of those parts together. Mm-hmm. Again, you can add different flavors to the waters as well that you yeah. use them to dilute. Um, we make a essentially teabag the the fruit in the alcohol, mm-hmm. um, and by teabag I mean we put it in the alcohol for a long time, mm-hmm. but in bags so that we can pull those bags out and then we yeah rather than to having the- to gently strain it off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You you learn as you go. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, first, the first batch we
1: didn't do, and it was very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and then we realised that we need to improve the, the the movement of the of the fruit. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've
2: made we've made a lot of mess. Uh, yeah. And then we essentially moved that alcohol, that, those alcoholic fruit bits—berries, be stone fruit, whatever it is—into the sugar solution, and that through osmosis pulls the alcohol out into the sugar solution. Um, but it ha- also has a, a separate kind of extraction where the sugar pulls out different flavors from the alcohol. Um, the very first
0: Amaro I made, I think I gave you a taste of it. Oh, yeah. And I would just use standard sugar. Oh, yeah. And you said to me, no, make a flavored syrup, but also use the fruit from the the maceration to bring out the, the alcohol for, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's one of the best things I've... Learned is from you, Hugh. So
1: well, I think the way that we kind of came up with that was as well. Obviously, we were all bartenders, and we were kind of used to making things uh, in smaller scales, I guess. Mm. Uh, and so a lot of the way that we make things is kind of informed by those um, uh, different me- methodologies that you kind of learn from um, from bars, or in Nick's case, probably quite a lot from uh, working with chefs as well. Yeah. yeah. Um,
2: there was also the element of wanting to make sure we could preserve it.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and not waste.
2: Yeah. So, so, that's so thing, we were
0: you're getting retention. So getting the spirit back out of it, you know. We
2: were so concerned that we were losing alcohol from that first soak that we wouldn't be able to get it back and then we'd go broke because we couldn't, like, it retain was, that alcohol. And we yeah. and just you do, lose,
1: at the end you of the do day. lose a lot of alcohol. You do, yeah. Uh, so, for instance, with most of our fruit liqueurs, we start our macerates at kind of 80%. And when we take them out of the alcohol, when we take the fruit out of the alcohol, the alcohol dropped to about 30%. Mm. so there's a pretty significant... um, Some of it's dilution, obviously. The water in the fruit Mm -hmm. uh, goes out, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of booze that goes into that fruit.
2: Yeah, stripping
1: that back out.
2: But it also preserves the sugar, so Mm, it means that you're not getting fermentation in the sugar during that time because you've got an alcoholic sugar solution. Exactly, yeah. So it it meant that we weren't having uh, tanks blow their lids, which is very handy.
0: Yeah, and again,
2: minimizing waste. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. so then we we also use it... uh, We also use that fruit in an extra component, which is different to most uh, liqueur productions, kind of what makes us unique is that we distill that fruit in a, mm-hmm. the same way you'd distill, um, s- spent grapes post, mm-hmm. uh, fermentation. post-fermentation. Post fermentation. So we essentially distill them in water, um, extracting the residual alcohol from the fruit. Yeah, and then uh, blend that back through. Blend it back through. So it gives us that kind of green o de v element to, to blend into our liqueurs. Yeah. It means that we've got um, a point of difference, but also we were so concerned about losing alcohol. that was how do we how do we extract this, and it was a, like, um, just the evolution of that process. It also means you're just extracting the most flavour
0: out of any particular component and getting the most out of because you're buying expensive fruit from
1: Australian producers, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Th- there is absolutely nothing left in those, that fruit after you yeah. distill
1: it. The other the other interesting thing that we discovered essentially by accident because we were so concerned about trying to get all the alcohol back out was that um, the water that is left in the still is actually quite delicious with some of the fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, so the cassis was the first liqueur that we produced and we basically discovered that by accident and you get this really lovely kind of like cooked jammy sugar water mm-hmm. um, that we use to dilute our... Um, Alicures or...
2: We found that out because I have poor time management and booked a meeting (laughs) and halfway through distillation had to stop the distillation and tasted it and it was really good. (laughs) (laughs) Happy accidents, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) It's trying to kind of incorporate as much flavor as you can into every component. And just extract the most you can,
0: right? Yeah. Um, What do you guys think of this Amaro?
1: It's way
2: more Amaro-y than I expected. Mm. Mm. It's... I thought it was going to be
1: more fruit, more... Yeah, like there's a bit of slow on the front, but it's. Mm. Yeah, it
0: goes right into that chen chin at the back of the palate. What's
1: the alcohol on 37.
0: Yeah, it taste, tastes busy. Um, yeah, you've been working in the liqueurs business too long, yeah. mate.
1: <laughs> it's good. Well, I mean, it's interesting because I either taste like 80% alcohol or 20% alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> there's nowhere in between.
2: <laughs> you need some hobbies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's delicious. It's, it's yeah, well balanced. Really For a first batch, pretty damn cool. I think the the interaction with the fruit and spice mm. for me smells and tastes more like a, a apricot or a cherry Eastern European mm-hmm. liqueur. I'm um, getting
0: like a lot of apricot kernel in the mid to back palate. On yes, that.
2: yeah. Kind of kind of tastes like a, a Polish sour cherry. Mm. Um, it's pretty wild.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Now, are there any ways that people can look at for using different liqueurs and amari? This is a very dense question.
2: (laughs) Uh, I think the simplest thing to do is to look at it as a flavor adjuster. Yeah. yeah. Be it in cocktails, in cooking, um, in, you know, afternoon activities. Yeah. Whatever you like.
0: Whatever you want. Um, Are there any cocktails that you particularly love that champion different liqueurs or amari?
2: Uh, I mean, I think a, a jasmine cocktail is a great example where mm-hmm. you've got that small splash of orange liqueur and bitter liqueur to to make a essentially a gin sour, um, a, quite a different cocktail. It's yeah. it's beautiful. A, a great kind of use of two different styles of liqueur.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, everyone knows a Negroni. It's you know that's yeah. I, I guess the classic, right? Um, but
2: a paper, paper plane the, the modern classic where you've got an Amaro and a, a a light aperitif bitter mm.
1: I mean um, I think also if you're looking at liqueurs probably the biggest one would be a migrator in terms of margarita. or an espresso martini in espresso Australia. martini yeah um, uh, in terms of consumption in Australia
2: I guess then you go to the most popular dessert in Australia too which is the tiramisu it yeah. often has either a fortified oh. wine or a uh, liqueur as oh, yeah, part yeah, of it a sweet the, liqueur yeah
0: yeah I, I mean, I've talked at length in multiple episodes about my love of the espresso martini. <laughs> right.
2: um, it's a good drink. It's I
0: Yes, have, uh, it I, is a great drink. <laughs> I'm not going to go on the same rant that I do every single time, but it is a fantastic drink. Um, if you don't like it, you're making it wrong. That's it.
2: So <laughs> every time we release Sydney products, I always send a bottle to my mum and yeah. mum and grandma on the farm have it on ice cream. Yeah. And that's how we know if it's good or not.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the thing. We, we sometimes are a bit too close to, to, to things on our end of the industry. Right. And I think, um, my boss Brooke put it perfectly, which is if you're ever not sure, think about the people who are going to drink it. Think about your father, think about your, your mother. Will they drink it? If so, perfect.
1: And I think a lot of the liqueurs we make, I've been pleasantly surprised at how well they work just with sparkling wine. Yeah, uh, like it's almost kind of like you can get away with pretty much any of them in a consistent sparkling wine. Yeah, like the Kir is obviously the classic, <laughs> but it, even like, like a
2: as a apérol spritz, spritz spec, it's yeah, kind yeah. of the, the spritz spec that works for just about anything. Sixty gills yeah. of spirit, mm-hmm. liqueur, bitter, whatever you like. Yeah, with soda and, uh, sparkling wine, you're is pretty safe. A yeah. good drink.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I love just an Amaro spritz in general, you know, <laughs> and definitely an Aperol spritz. Yeah, Throw a bit of gin in there as well for good measure.
2: They have done an incredible job of marketing the way to make that drink so that everyone understands. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, a piece that everyone should um, learn from. That's yeah, yeah. how you educate the masses on how to make your drink.
0: And it's just so simple, you know, keep it yeah. simple, keep it fun, keep it light. Exactly. Um, let's be honest. Booze in general is just quite frivolous. So, yeah. silly. It's inherently fun.
2: It's it's also a, a luxury item. We yeah. we should be encouraging the fun side of things because it is something that's luxury, not necessary. Um, and and there for enjoyment. Yeah, it should bring people together.
0: Yeah. At any point in time, uh, it's something that I know our producer Vula knows. I always just say, shut up and drink it. <laughs> you no, know, don't take it so seriously. You know. What it is. Yeah. Um are there any are there any bars around the world that you know that really champion this style of booze? You know, these liqueurs, these Amari.
2: Uh there's a brilliant one that I went to recently in Brisbane called Before and After Bar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A guy named George uh has this little bar that was an old cafe down in the basement behind a pub. Um and he's gone as far as even making it his furniture with a producer in South South Australia for that bar. That Fernet is fantastic. It's really, really uh, good. Yeah. It's,
0: it's very, very impressed by that. Full circle, is
1: it? Full circle. Full circle, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't tried it, but I've heard of yeah. it. Yeah. But his
2: his bar is at a pair of a digestive bar and he's doing it really, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the most famous one would be a and Margo in yeah. New York. Yeah. Uh, I haven't actually been, but I've read plenty about it and I idolize it.
0: Yeah, I'd really like to be able to go there. Well, I intend to go to New York soon, but next time I'm over in North America. Luckily, I'm married to an American, so.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there's an excuse. Yeah. Um, and then I guess we're, we're seeing the the rise of the aperitivo vermouth style bar in Australia that's been yeah. prevalent throughout Europe. Is it
0: Bartorino and.
2: Uh, Bartorino in uh, Adelaide. There's. Uh, uh, vermuteria mm-hmm. um, in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. And these bars that are everywhere in Europe. Uh, Pop up in Australia now, which is amazing because you get small snacks, bitter drinks and you feel good.
0: Yeah. It's it's the perfect way to spend a sunny afternoon or even if it's not sunny or afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I guess we might as well wrap this up, but I've got my final four questions for you guys. This is exciting for me. And uh, I know that I'm going to get an awful reaction from Vula on one of these because she does it every time. All right. What is your shot of choice?
1: Uh, probably vermouth. Yeah, yeah. Agave spirits.
0: Yeah, mezcal, tequila, rice here. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: He's more sensible than I am. <laughs> 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 All
1: right. This I mean, it. I just don't. I don't think I've actually. Well, I think the last time I did a shot was probably when we were out of Mister West drinking. Like, yeah, I can't remember what it was, but it was definitely some kind of agave. Yeah. But uh, I mean,
0: if you're in Mr. West, you're going to be do- yeah, doing, yeah, doing yeah, shots yeah. of the bar. I was bar just bike.
1: thinking, like, I think the last time when I was behind a bar and I was doing shots in the rag, I was doing shots of the moose just because it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint.
0: Yeah. Um, my final shift at the bar I used to work at, the Kilburn, I was allowed to put any bottle in the rail for me to have shots of all night. And oh, yeah. I chose Campari because I was like, I'm still closing the bar
1: tonight. Strong. <laughs> um, Didn't go for Fernet? <laughs> no. That's
2: why I don't work with bars anymore. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All
0: right. What is your guilty pleasure drink?
2: I'm uh, big fan of anything tropical and fruity. Mm-hmm. Uh, do love a Pinnacle. I do love a Jungle Bird. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's even a guilty pleasure, though. No, that's just a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good point. Okay. <laughs> Malibu. I love Malibu. Malibu. Okay. <laughs>
1: Uh, I would say some kind of very sweet RTD. I'm not particularly fussy about it. Yeah, yeah. Like cruisers, the hard minus solos or... sixes, hard solos. <laughs> any of that. There's a time and a place for it, and I absolutely love it. Got to love a cruiser right? Oh,
2: yeah. on that, '80s and '90s soft drinks as a mixer with gin. Yeah, Great yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Pes- actually, Pasito. Pasito. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, so good. Sars.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do love a bit of Sars. Great beer floats. <laughs>
2: soda. Oh yeah, uh, yes. yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, What is the What's the grape one? Oh, um, Porto. Pom, uh, Portello. Yeah, Portello. That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> definitely a guilty pleasure drink. Yeah. Um, Basically do, anything that Billson's making an martini. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm. They I'm really go, hit that market. <laughs> I'm gonna absolutely love this question with
0: you
2: two. How do you like your martini, shaken or stirred? <laughs> funnily enough my favourite martini is actually a Vespa spec martini but done stirred because there's no point in shaking a martini uh, but the combination of gin and vodka is amazing because you can play on texture mm-hmm. a little bit of sweetness is amazing and then I put uh, spl- split the vermouth with some verju to give uh, a little bit of acid extra in. acid so you're stepping away from the martini but that's my favourite martini spec
1: yeah right my favorite martini spec would definitely be a 45 to 47% kind of classic dry gin. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, wet with a splash of sherry. Yeah, yeah I, I'm a but big definitely fan not shaken of
0: the wet martini, but split it, vermouth and manthinier. Yeah, that's absolutely. It's a real good time.
2: Yeah. So why would you shake a martini? Well,
0: I guess there's the marketing from James Bond, right? And originally it was meant to be a joke. Because the James Bond books were satirical, right? Um,
2: but he made a pretty good speck of Martini. Yeah. The Vespa spec works really well.
0: It does. But it, the entire concept was satire, you know? But, oh, well. People prefer it and that's okay.
1: Yeah?
0: <laughs> Again, this is inherently inconsequential. <laughs> anyway, not to get too pretentious. Um that's a that's a change for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think the wildest martini spec I ever... Well, one of the most memorable ones I got at Gin Palace was someone who ordered a 50-50 martini dirty. Yeah. And I was like, so do you mean half gin, half vermouth? He's like, no, half olive brine.
0: Oh, wow. That's <laughs> like,
1: man, <laughs> that is a choice. That's <laughs> the, disgusting. Sorry. Yeah. A friend of mine told me we that... all float. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it wasn't that fancy. I p- probably would have improved it. <laughs>
0: I I was told uh, by a friend of mine who um, shall remain nameless uh, who was in a cocktail comp once, mm. and was told to make a martini, but they had to like hold hands the entire time. It was two people, so the way they made their, their martini was they poured gin into one of their mouths and vermouth into the other, then spat it back and forth, and spat it into the glass and called it a filthy
2: martini. I, I'd, <laughs> I mean, I'd call it a baby bird. But... <laughs> Yeah, I'm I feel like to...
1: Nick did a combo cocktail comp once, but that was because Nick had entered the cocktail comp and then he broke his shoulder. <laughs> so he was he was telling me what to do and also telling the judges about the drink, and I was actually doing the mixing. Yeah.
2: Which is how we do marionette. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, very, very. What accurate. break your shoulder?
1: <laughs> More accurate than I wanted to be.
0: <laughs> now the final question, which uh, I really enjoy. What are your thoughts on red wine and Coca Cola?
1: Wrong. Really good. Wrong. I'm pro Calimucho. Yeah, Calimucho. Oh. I've been to the Basque country. I've drunk it on the side of the street. I'm pro it.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't mind it, but I also think that it can't be with the red wine that it's classically served with. It should be served with a, a light, acidic, fresh style of wine.
1: Anyway. I actually think it's better with vermouth. Right? Yeah. To be honest. Vermouth yeah. and Coke. Yeah, yeah So, yeah. vermouth and Coke is delicious.
2: Yeah. It, probably, it probably takes away from the idea of what, what it's about. But, yeah. like, serving it with a A fresh, vibrant style of wine that has acid. Yeah. It works really, really well. Yeah.
1: Um, But I also think, yeah, it works really well with vermouth if you want to go wine adjacent.
2: I also think that, you know, you should be able to see through your red wine to make it good.
0: (laughs) It doesn't need to be, you know. Yeah. Um, Oh, I think you're all crazy. Yeah. (laughs) In a couple of episodes, you're having one. Oh, God. No, please, God, No. (laughs) Well, on that note, guys, thank you so much for joining me. This has actually been a treat for 9 a.m. in the morning. But Thanks for uh, having us. No. It's Thanks been for, sorry, we, sorry we made you wake up so early. <laughs> don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> Thanks, mate. I'm going back to bed after this. <laughs> yeah, good choice. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Cheers. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Spirited Discussions. I hope you had as much fun as I have and have been able to take away something you didn't know. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. And please join me next time on Spirited Discussions.